0: Amen. Well, go ahead and get your Bibles out. Turn to the book of 1 Corinthians as we continue through our sermon series. Uh, through the book of 1 Corinthians, Messy Church. And we're in chapter 12 this morning, dealing with the issue and the item of spiritual gifts. And uh, let, let me just open by asking, when I say spiritual gift, don't, don't respond out loud, but just think to yourself, what comes to your mind And some of what might come to your mind might be some really good things. Some of what comes to your mind might not be uh, a good thing. Uh, but I'm willing to bet that uh, in a room this size, there's a variety of things that uh, at some level we're thinking. And so some of us, when we hear spiritual gifts, we think about surveys and assessments and different tests that have told us that we have the gift of blank. Or maybe some of you, you think about the particular gift that you have uh, and the utilization of the, that gift or how that plays out in your life or whatever it may be. For some of you, if you're really honest, when you hear the phrase spiritual gift, There's this tinge of jealousy or envy that wells up inside of you because you're going, you know, I don't have that gift. Or maybe for some of you, you're on the other side of this. There's a sinful sense of pride. Maybe you think you're better than other people because I have the gift of... I'm not going to say anything. Uh, Maybe some of you feel like second-class citizens. I only have this gift. maybe some of you think about different ways that you get to serve and bless uh, other people in the church so there's no shortage of ways that we go when we hear this word but i wonder for how many of us that what comes to our mind maybe even what's prominent in our mind when we think about spiritual gifts is god's grace I don't know. I mean, I'll just be honest. I don't ever go to that place, Um, at at least not up until this week. Uh, And and I'm willing to bet for a lot of us that's not the typical place that we tend to go. And yet that's exactly where the text is going to take us, to the grace and the kindness and the generosity of God. In fact, D.A. Carson, a New Testament scholar, a very prominent New Testament scholar, doesn't refer to gifts as spiritual gifts. He calls them grace gifts. Uh, in in highlighting this idea of the grace of God in the giftedness that he gives to the church. And so that's what we will see in conjunction with this notion of gifts is the grace of God to his people. And so really in, in, a, in a sentence, what 1 Corinthians 12 is about is that God graciously gives spiritual gifts for the purpose of building up one another. God graciously gives spiritual gifts for the purpose of building up one another. And so he's gracious in that he gives us gifts, but he's also gracious in in, in the way that those gifts play out in the blessing of those gifts. And so before we go any further, I think we would do well to pray, uh, to humble ourselves before the Lord, to ask God to give us wisdom and insight uh, into the different things that are going to unfold for us here this morning, and would encourage you to pray uh, with me as I pray aloud here in this moment. Uh, Let's go to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we come before you. God, we humble our hearts and our minds and our souls before you, asking you, God, to have your good work, to accomplish your good work, to have your good way in and amongst your people. God, that as we come to this text, maybe for some of us, we need to be reminded of something. Maybe we need to be encouraged in a manner or a way. Maybe some of us need to be rebuked and we need to hear that stern word of rebuke. Maybe some of us uh, need to realize ways in which we're undermining good gifts of yours. But whatever it is that you want to accomplish, we lay ourselves before you and say, uh, Heavenly Father, have your way with us. Do what you want to do in and amongst your people. And God, not only for us, as always, we want to pray for another church in the area. God, we pray for North Church. God, I thank you for Daniel Schumann as he is faithfully filled in as an interim in that body of believers. And God, I pray that as it seems like they've landed on a new lead pastor, that you would be with that guy as he comes in that church as they enter into this time of transition. The same way that we'd ask that you'd be with us. God, leading us, directing us, guiding us, having your way with us. so as we walk through Your word, would you give us wisdom? Would you be honored? Would you be glorified? And God, would you accomplish your good purpose in all things? We pray this in the matchless name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. All right, well, I didn't read through the text uh, prior to praying, partly just because of the size uh, of the text. But we will work through verse by verse, and really three things, or three primary things, uh, that are going on in this chapter around the idea of the grace of spiritual gifts. And that's what we've titled the message, that's the emphasis that we're after. God graciously gives spiritual gifts for the purpose of building up one another. And so three things that we see, before we get to that, let me point us first of all to verse 1. And, and notice that phrase, now concerning. And we've seen that before, haven't we? Right, that phrase, now concerning, which has shown up multiple times starting in chapter 7. And, and that now concerning phrase is in response to a letter that the Corinthians had written to Paul. And Paul is now responding to a variety of different issues. And so now you get to chapter 12. And he says, now concerning spiritual gifts. Okay, so he's talking about spiritual gifts. And he says, brothers, I, I don't want you to be uninformed. And then you get to verse 2 and 3, and he's not talking about spiritual gifts. In fact, here's what I think we see in the first three verses. And I'm sorry, we don't have the slides up. I don't know what's going on. Dwayne, did we lose those? Or Okay, he's working on it. They'll pop up at some point, maybe. All right, but here we go. Here's the first point, is that we receive God's gracious gift of Christ. In fact, the best gift that God can give to his church is the gift of Christ. And so, so keep in mind, right, the issue for the Corinthians was that they had created this sense of status or position based on their spiritual gifts. They thought that certain gifts made them more spiritual or more holy or whatever it might be. In fact, their spirituality was authenticated by their gifts. Wrongly so, but that's what they thought. And so they would say, well, because I have the gift of knowledge or because I have the gift of whatever it is, it makes me spiritual. And this is why God loves me. And so the issue for this church was that their gifts were directly linked to their identity. And so Paul's about to respond to this. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed, but notice what he says in verse 2 and 3. You know, that, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord Except in the Holy Spirit. And so, a couple things around this gracious gift of Christ, where Paul starts to talk about spiritual gifts, but he's like, hold on, hold on, hold on. We've got, we got to lay the groundwork here. Notice, first of all, in verse 2, our identity in Christ as a gift actually runs them back to their life prior to their salvation, prior to the time that they would identify them themselves as a son or a daughter of, of King Jesus, Right when they were striving and working to prove themselves to those around them, not because of the finished work of Jesus, but something else. It's almost like Paul saying, okay, let's talk about spiritual gifts. Do you remember when you were pagans? Like, wait, what? What are you doing here? What are you? What are you talking about, man? Do you remember your life before Jesus rescued you? Right, love one. I think it would be good for all of us, just in this moment, to consider that. Right? Can you think back to, to that time in your life? Right. Wh- wh- whether it's weeks, months, years, or decades ago. Right. Looking back to that point in time in your life when you were not one with Christ. And what did that look like? And and, and what did that entail? And, And what did that mean for you? Because I think for all of us, as we look back, we realize what God has done for us. That's what Paul's trying to do here. I'm willing to bet none of you would, as you look back on that, you go, man, it's so impressive. Look at how I've redeemed and rescued myself. God's so lucky to have me. Does he know how good he has it? I'm willing to bet none of you are doing that. Probably most of us are going, "Uh, man, I was kind of a disaster. I I wasn't kind of a disaster. I was a total disaster. See, Paul's moving them back to the root issue here. Right? That their identity is wrongly wrapped up in their gifts and it should be wrapped up in Christ. And that should be true for us as well, that the, 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 the primary identifying characteristic of you and I is that we belong to Jesus. And so Paul's saying, let me help remind you of your life when this wasn't true of you, so that when we get to this issue of gifts that you think is this huge deal, you can actually frame it appropriately. Right? Our identity in Christ as a gift, and what a gift it is that our identity is rooted and secured in Jesus, amen? Amen. Right, so then notice what he does in verse three, right? Not only our identity in Christ, but really that is derived from our salvation through Christ as a gift, and that's what Paul's talking about in verse three. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. Right? You you can't be in the Spirit, you can't be one with the Lord, and say Jesus is accursed. Like that doesn't happen. That doesn't work in God's economy, and the inverse of that is true as well, right? You, you can't say that Jesus is Lord unless you are in the Spirit and a part of what God is doing and moving and working within his people. And so what he's saying is, listen, salvation isn't achieved, it's not merited, it's not something you accomplish, it's not something you earn, it's not something that you do. It's only done through a confession in and through the person of Jesus right? It's that in this confession of faith, it's tied to the lordship of Jesus over our lives. But how do you get there? But like, how do you get to that point? Well, it's through the work of God. It's through the Spirit. It's it's the gospel call of God that brings us to that point. We're, We're not doing this. God is doing this. And so faith is a gift given to us for salvation. And so you start looking at identity. You start looking at salvation. And before Paul's even said anything about spiritual gifts, here's what he's done. He's removed any sense of self amongst this conversation. There's no sense of self in this. And so you're looking at this, and if we really grab what he's getting at in verse 2 and 3, it should foster humility in us as we realize, man, Jesus has done it all. And so then this becomes the attitude, or at least it should be the attitude, that permeates the way that we think and understand spiritual gifts. My identity is in Jesus. It's not in my giftedness. My salvation is a gift from God. It's not something that I earn, and it's so foundational That we frame the gifts in this context, which is exactly what Paul has done to the Corinthians. Now concerning spiritual gifts, right? This is who you are, and more importantly, this is who Jesus is, and this is what he makes you. We receive God's gracious gift of Christ. Then starting in verse 4, he actually gets into gifts themselves. And in fact, in verses 4 through 11, Paul is going to talk about uh, spiritual gifts uh, as God apportions uh, them. And then in verses 12 through 31, it's just a huge illustration or metaphor of what he's teaching on in verses 4 through 11. So we'll walk through those two things and then try to draw some application on some of this on the back end. But let's get into verses 4 through 11 here. We receive spiritual gifts as the Spirit apportions. Uh, Let me read verses 4, 5, and 6 Here's what he says. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Now, now, did you catch? Right? Did you catch the the, the the variety of giftedness coupled with the sameness of God as we move through those past, or those three verses? Did you see that, right? So, variety, 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 but it's the same Spirit, the same Lord, the same God, right? So, there's a sameness of God, but a variety in the gifting. So the second uh, broad point, we receive spiritual gifts as the spirit apportions. couple things with respect to this. In verses 4 through 6, we receive a variety of gifts. Notice uh, what that should do for us is that this cuts against any notion that all of us are supposed to have the same gift, that some gifts are more important or better than other gifts, uh, that there's intended variety and diversity that exists in the church We're not all going to look the same. And God designed it that way on purpose. And so we can be thankful for the fact that we don't all look the same. Secondly, we also see in these verses, we understand the nature of the source of the gifts. That all of the gifts, every last gift comes from God. So so there can be no status In the gift itself, the status is derived from, it's tied to, the one who gives the gifts. And again, this is part of us finding identity in Jesus and not in our giftedness or in some other thing, right? It's about the source. It's about the giver, not about the item or the gift itself. Try to illustrate this. Uh, I'm not exactly the sentimental type, so I don't really hold on to a lot of things. And I, I outed myself to the twins first service. I'm going to out myself to Davis here second service. But when the kids were little, yeah, you know, they were like all little kids and they would draw a bunch of pictures and whatnot. And they'd bring them to mom and dad and, and you just would have stacks of these things. I'm just not holding on to 600 drawings from a four-year-old. Okay, they might think that they're the next Van Gogh. I'm not an art guy, but I know enough to know that stick figures don't sell for millions of dollars. So I'm just okay getting rid of most of those pictures. And so what would happen is they would bring some, and you know we'd keep a couple, uh, but you know I'm just not keeping hundreds of these. And then they would end up in the recycling bin. Right, And so the kids would come and they'd just be horrified like, dad, our pictures ended up in the recycling bin. Well, I didn't want to lie. So I'd just be like, oh, do you know how they got in there? No, I wasn't about to say, well, I do. I put them in there. But as they got older, began to go, hey, listen, choose one. When I keep in 10, just choose one. So, so, I mean, even my wife and I will sometimes argue over this and whatnot. And it was funny, last service I shared this story, and Trenton just glared at me for like the next five minutes of the messages. I can't believe the betrayal. You know, my dad is throwing away my artwork. I can't get over it. Davis is just smiling about it. So, I don't know, maybe he'll, he's like, Dad, none of my art's any good anyway, so uh, you didn't want it. But, um, but there are a few things, and as much as I say that, there are a few things. That are very ordinary, normal, mundane items that are in my home. And even after you heard what I just said, you might be like, why in the world do you have that? Because they're the few things that I have that belong to my grandpa. And so those things, which, which in and of themselves are really not worth anything, they're, they're, they're treasured possessions of mine. They're incredibly meaningful to me. And it has nothing to do with the object or the item itself. It has everything to do with the one who gave it to me. And it's the same with gifts, right? It's not that the gift is inherently special. It's that the one who gives the gift is inherently special and, 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 and worthy and glorious. And that's what makes the gifts that you and I have meaningful. Not that I'm good at this, but that because God is good and he gave it to me, it's because of that that I appreciate it. We have to understand the source of the gifts. And then notice this, particularly in verse 6. Look at what it says. It says there's a variety of activities, but it's the same God. You might want to make note of this next line. Who empowers them all in everyone. That we see the empowering of gifts. And the empowering comes from and through God. Loved ones, you and I empower nothing. Did you hear that? Right, We empower nothing. It is God who empowers not most of them to some people, not most of them to the ones that he likes. It's God who empowers them all in everyone. God is the one who empowers the gifts that are at work within us, and God is the one who uses the gifts within us to bring himself glory. So if I were to get up here on a Sunday morning and attempt to preach out of my own strength, Nothing would happen. At least nothing of any substance and lasting value. Now, words would come out of my mouth, and you might hear something, and by God's goodness and kindness, maybe even take something with you and go, hey, that's helpful, or I can use that. But nothing of any profound substance is going to come from that. In the same way that if you were to serve, or to give, or to share, or to be hospitable, or to, um, uh, to come alongside an administration, or whatever your gift is in, in your own strength, it's going to be pointless. But if it's done where it's empowered by God, its effect is profound and and meaningful. We receive a variety of gifts. So what what, what do we do with this information and knowledge? I think there's a couple things. One is it should stoke up some things within our hearts, that there's a response of humility inside of us. God, thank you. That you would give us gifts. God, thank you that you would entrust to us good things. And in as much as there's humility, what I've just said, there's thankfulness. God, thanks that you give to us what we don't deserve. But then I think part of the action, and we're going to see this over and over again here as we move through, but I think part of it is that we do something about it. We serve, that you utilize what God has put into you and you employ that into the body of Christ so here's, here's the beauty in this, is when the church puts into practice what God has given us, no one looks out and goes, look what I did. People look out and go, look what God did. Look how God moved. Look how God worked. How, look how God accomplished. See, that's what we want to celebrate. That's what we want to be excited about. That's what we want to be thankful for. And that is our aim that we're after. We receive a variety of gifts. Notice verses 7 through 11. Really the purpose of why God has given us these gifts is that we receive gifts for the common good. Here's what he says, verse 7 and following. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, for the benefit, for the blessing. Verse 8. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. Now stop, and I want you to just pay attention to how many times you're going to hear the word another and something different come after it here in these next couple of verses. Here we go. Let me start at the beginning of verse 8 again. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. Think he's making a point? Verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. See, we receive our gifts for the common good. God gave us gifts with the idea that we would take those gifts and we would put them into practice, that we would utilize them. But the, the way in which we put them into practice is for the common good or the benefit of the church. It's not just for myself. It's not just to make me popular or famous or liked. It's not just to leverage for my own personal advantage or gain. It's about the benefit and the well-being of others. So the gifts that God has put into you, he's done so for the express purpose of you utilizing and using those gifts for the benefits of others. Verse 7, each is given a manifestation for the common good. Verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And what bookends this section is this idea of us taking what God has given to us and utilizing them for the common good of the body of Christ. And then in the midst of this, you've got this list of to one and then another and another and another and another. It's his point. I'm not going to walk through what each of these mean. There's plenty of resources out there that are helpful with respect to this. But part of the reason I'm not going to walk through each of the gifts is it's not Paul's point. Paul's point isn't for us to go, okay, I see nine different items here, and and I've got to be one of the nine. No, Paul's point is to emphasize and highlight variety amongst the people of God. That's his point, and that God has given gifts to his people, and he's working in various ways through his people to accomplish his good purposes, This is about the apostle saying to the church, they're not better or worse. They're not more important or less important. God gives different gifts to different people to accomplish the same purpose, but in different manners and different ways. And so church, here's what you and I need to do with this. You have to understand that God has given you a gift and then you got to do something with that gift. God didn't give you that gift to sit on it. God didn't give you that gift to, to utilize it for yourself. God gave you that gift to leverage it for the purpose of the church and the kingdom of God. The gifts are about the church. We receive them for the common good. And we leverage them for the totality of the church. And then starting in verse 12 through the end of the chapter. Paul saying, let me give you an illustration. And he uses the illustration of the human body to try to, to try to drive home what's going on with spiritual gifts and how we're to understand it. So let's just walk through this here and see some of the different items that come out here in verses 12 through 31. And here's really, I think, the whole idea that Paul is after here in verses 12 through 31 is that we use our gifts to build the church. You use the gift that God gave you to build his church. I use the gift that God gave to me to build his church. Here we go. Verse 12 through 14. Here's the first thing that we see. That we're all members of one body. Here's what he says. For just as the body is one and has many members or parts, and all the members are parts of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. Okay, we're talking about the body. Verse 13. For in one spirit we're all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Right? We're all members of one body. We're all in this together. That that, that through the gospel, and through the finished work of Jesus, he, he makes us into one body, into one family. And notice in verse 13... All kinds of different items that are at play, but irrespective of our backgrounds, irrespective of our past, irrespective of our ethnicity or, or any other item that could be divisive, what God does is he makes us a singular people. And so the oneness of the church is comprised of the totality of the individual members. And a lot like we talked about last week, the classification is not a social one, it is a gospel one. So we're all members of one body. And given that, there are some implications that flow out of that through the back half of this chapter. Here's the first one. Look at verse 15 and 16 and note that we're all necessary to the body. That every single one of us is necessary to the body. Here's what Paul says. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ears should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. He's saying we're all necessary to the body. That each person, each member, each part is necessary to the body. And so what Paul does here is he describes a couple of body parts that actually wish they were other body parts. Well, I'm not a hand, said the lowly foot. Right? Or... It would be so much better if I was just an eye, said the ear. And yet this serves a few purposes for us as we consider what Paul's after. Right? For the elitist, for those who thought that they were superior because they had the gift that everyone else valued in that church, because they thought that they were better than everyone else, what it actually is reminding them is that they're incomplete without others. Loved one, you need to hear that word that you are incomplete without the rest of the body. You cannot do it on your own. Now, in so many ways and and forms, this really blows up so much of what American Christianity is built around. Autonomy and self and individualism and all this other garbage and junk. and, And what Paul's saying is, no, no, listen, you can't do it on your own. I don't care how self-sufficient you are. I don't care how strong you are. I don't care how talented you are. There's no lone rangers in God's economy. If there's not a corporate entity, you're lost. That's what he's saying here. But then on the other side of this, for those of us who maybe look at our or our gift is something that's less or something that's inferior. It's a reminder to us that we are an equal and necessary part of the body, that that you are needed. Now, just because our society doesn't value certain gifts doesn't mean that that's how God feels about those gifts. And so I, I would just ask you, have you ever begrudged the gifts that God has given to you? Have you ever minimized the spiritual gifts that God has entrusted to you or put into you? Oh, I only have. I just have. I don't have that really important gift. It's just this. You'd be shocked at how often I hear garbage like that. Shocking. And maybe you haven't said it out loud, but I wonder if you've ever thought that. Would you stop that? Would you stop begrudging the generosity and the goodness of our God? Who, who, okay, true confessions. Who in here likes to give a gift that's unappreciated by the recipient? Anybody in here? Yeah, me neither. Right? Like, I, I have no delight in offering my child a gift. Hey, here you right or here right here you go, Davis. Here's a gift, and he's like, "This is lame. What do I want to do?" I either want to take it back or maybe smack him upside the head, right? And it's like, knock it off. What's wrong with you, right? But but what I don't do is like, oh, I love that he hates what I just gave him. (laughs) And yet how many of us have the temerity and the audacity to do that before a holy and sovereign God who generously and graciously gives us good gifts? Well, I only got this. You don't deserve any of it. You're playing with house money right now. Or maybe you're on the other side of it. You think you're better than the person sitting next to you. You think you're better than other people are. Because I have this gift. I have the mighty gift of... You're not better than anyone. God's better than everyone. And the only reason you have that gift is the good, kind, and generous reality of our God. Right? He talks about back in chapter 4. What do you have that you did not receive? Nothing. See, Paul's highlighting the necessity of every part of the body. You ever taken a part of your body for granted? You ever done that? Right, and and then what, what happens? Right, how, how do you come to remember that you've taken that part of the body for granted? And <laughs> you get hurt, right? Uh, or or it's not working, or they remove that part uh, of your body. And I'm learning that as you get older, you do this less because more of your body hurts more often, right? Uh, But but as things hurt or they're missing or they don't work, you realize, oh man, that, that serves more of a purpose and a function than I thought. I never think about my toes until I go for a hike and my sock gets bunched up and there's a huge blister on my toe and I can't walk. Then I think about my toes a lot and our propensity to take for granted certain things. And yet what it does is it serves to highlight the importance of every part of the body. And so, loved one, what you need to know is that you are necessary to the body. Some of you living on the wrong side of this where it's like, well, it's just, no, no, you're necessary. Others of you need to hear the word that while you're necessary to the body, you're not the only part that's necessary to the body. We are all necessary to the body. And he goes on and explains why in the next few verses. Look at verse 17 and following. And here's really the principle. Let me give it up front. It's that we depend upon one another in the body. We're necessary because we have to depend. We have to lean. We have to be able to trust one another uh, within the body. Verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, and don't miss this next line, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Right? We depend upon one another in the body. And so so in the first part of this, in verses 17, 18, 19, 20, Paul's talking about this, this exclusivity. That we're all just going to be the same member. If you had 300 eyes, what do you have? A freak? A monster? Right? Not a body. That's just weird. And think of how limiting that is. Okay, you can see a lot. But you're not going anywhere. You're not going to grab anything. You don't taste anything. You're not going to smell anything. You don't hear anything. I mean, think of all the limitations in that. And so we say, hey, listen, this doesn't work to just all be one thing. And then in verse 21, he's saying, you can't say to one another, I don't need you. See, what Paul's doing here is he's unfolding this interdependency that exists throughout the body. That we're dependent upon one another to function as a body. If I lose one member, I'm not functioning as I should. So, so hear me when I say this, church. If you're not, let me frame it this way. If we're not interdependent, we're not the church. You might be an organization. You might be a group of people. You might be a gathering. It's not the church. That's what Paul's saying. We don't get to piecemeal this thing together. Right? It, it requires the totality of the body. And so for a, a really healthy way for us to see spiritual gifts and the roles within the church is through the lens of interdependency. That we have to lean upon one another. We have to trust one another. Right? That, that it, this highlights the diversity and the variety that he's already been talking about. The different roles, different responsibilities, different giftedness, accomplishing the myriad of all that God has for us. So think about even a Sunday morning. Think about what's unfolded here in the last little bit. And think about all the different giftedness, all the different talent and ability that goes into what's happened here this morning. So you walked in the door, you were greeted by someone. There was coffee and tea and stuff in the lobby that you had access to, right? So there were people had the gifts of hospitality that were serving before you got here to ensure that there was some sense of welcome for you. There are ushers, right, who are paying attention to what's going on, watching things that you have no idea are unfolding in the lobby or in the parking lot, and yet they're shepherding and protecting what's going on in here. You have people that are teaching in workshops or on the children's side that are dispensing knowledge and wisdom, helping people to grow up into Christ. You have the worship team doing something that I could never do in a million years, right? Being able to pick up an instrument, and it doesn't sound hideous. It's actually inviting and, and, and welcoming and leads us into the throne room. You have the word that's being preached. You have the administration of what's going on with slides and bulletins. And I mean, we go on and on and on, but you get the point. All these different things that are going on, the variety of giftedness. We're not even talking about the life of the church. We're just talking about the Sunday morning gathering here. God's given all these different gifts to the church, but he has not given all the gifts to any one individual. And so we're forced to be dependent upon one another, which is for our good. And we need to be reminded of this. Because we, we can get a little bit one dimensional uh, in, in, in how we think about our gifts and our passions around our gifts. So I don't think it's wrong. To love the giftedness that God put into you. In fact, I, would, I, I think it might even be wrong if you didn't love the giftedness that God put into you. And it's not wrong to be passionate about that, to have a heart for that. But here's where I think we get sideways on this. Is it's not just that we're passionate, but we move to this place where we think that everyone is supposed to prioritize the gift that God put into us. And, and, and so what happens is our passion ends up driving our practice. So, I have the gift of prayer, and anyone who doesn't show up to a prayer time, well, they're not even a Christian. Well, no, they just got other gifts. And they're serving in other ways, and they're leaning into other things, or whatever it might be. Let me try to illustrate this. To a hammer, everything looks like what? A nail. Right, And and there are times where we're really thankful for hammers and for nails. And they do their job and they fulfill their purpose. And so let's think about this in the spiritual sense. Right, To someone with the gift of evangelism, everything looks like an opportunity to share the gospel. Uh, To someone who has the gift of hospitality, everything looks like a chance to invite someone into your home with the gift of service. This is just another opportunity for me to serve someone. That's the lens by which you see things. But sometimes what we do is we become that hammer and everything's a nail. You ever tried to hammer a screw? That don't work very well, does it? Right? And this diversity and this variety that's meant to play out in and amongst the church... And we've got to come to this place where we're willing to learn to trust God's providence for his church. And so while you lean into your giftedness, allow other people to lean into their different but equally important giftedness so that in the totality of what God is doing, God's kingdom is advanced and God's purpose is accomplished. See, so you love what you do because you're good at it, right? Who likes doing things they're terrible at? Anybody? That's like a fool's errand, right? I mean, I just, I'm just not interested in that. I like doing things I'm good at. And, and most people are the same way. And that's what happens with our gifting. And so, love one, my encouragement is instead of being frustrated that not everyone loves your thing, why don't you thank God that he put that thing into you and then turn around and thank God that he put something else into the people around you to do the things that you're not good at. We depend upon one another in the body. Then you see in verses 22 to 26, notice where he goes on this dependency. And the purpose of dependency is that we're able to care for one another in the body. This is why he's made us dependent, so that we can care. Look at what he says. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weak are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. Which are more presentable parts do not require. Okay, why? But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. So this very intentional, deliberate deliberate move by God. Verse 25, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Jesus gives us gifts to care for the church. And when he's talking about stronger and weaker there, he's not talking about physically or spiritually. Keep in mind the Corinthian issue. I think I'm stronger because I have this particular gift. And Paul's saying, no, no, that's not the point. He's turning their independence back into interdependency. And, And he's doing this to help us understand how we care for one another. God has so composed the body, verse 25, that there may be no division in the body, but that members may have the same care for one another. So God has put it together this way, this dependency, this necessity, so that we help to care for one another. That we're not divided. That when someone suffers, we suffer with them. And someone is honored, we rejoice with them. And so it's not this... Casual connection that we have with one another. But it's covenant community that truly participates and shares life with one another. And so, listen, listen, church. We simply can't be consumers. I don't think you and I even realize to the degree at which consumerism has gripped us, even within the church. But we cannot simply be consumers, we have to be distributors that I don't just show up on Sunday morning or Tuesday night or or Thursday evening or whatever it is and go, what can I get, what's in it for me and what can I grab and what can I take? But what can I give? What can I share? Where can I pour myself out? Where can I extend myself to others? Requires that we're connected to one another. Am I connected enough to the people in the church to know that if someone's suffering, I'd be able to engage with that. Am I connected to people enough that if someone's honored, I can celebrate and rejoice in that? Am I connected to the community? Or am I connected to the church in a way that creates community? Or am I seeking anonymity? I wanna hide. I wanna be on my own. I just wanna do my own thing, check the box and move on my way. And yet, see, to, to, to do this, right, to care for one another, requires intentionality, it requires purposefulness that we actually get to know one another. So that I means you've got to open your door and let people sit at your table. And you got to be willing to walk through someone's door and sit at their table. And i got to be invested in discipleship. i got to be willing to come and serve. Like You don't get to know people in a vacuum. You, you have to be around them. Now, let me just help you in this, that you're, you're not going to know everyone in the church well. Let me just free you from that burden. I don't think any of you have it, but in the event that you do, You're just not going to know them all well. But there should be a subset of the church that you know well. And collectively, all people are known well by a multitude of people. We all care for one another in the body. And then finally, verse 27 to 31, just real quick here, and then I want to get to some application that we know our place within the body. And uh, Paul, Paul here Uh, says, Let me just read verse 27 and 28. He says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it, and God has appointed in the church. And then he just begins to list all these different things. Let me pick it up in verse 29. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? And he continues to ask some of these other questions, which all beg the answer to say, no. And what it would seem that Paul's doing here is he's identifying that we all have a role, that our role will look differently, but that God has called us to play our role and so, love one, I'm asking you, will you play your role? Are you willing to do and utilize what God has put into you? Not jockeying for status and position, not trying to get your thing, but serving faithfully in your role. We use our gifts to build the church. Okay, what do we what do we do with this? What does this mean for us today? Let's try to apply what's going on here in the text and make it useful and helpful in our lives. Let me give you four things here. Four things. Application of spiritual gifts. Here's the first, is, is to understand that the, the, the larger emphasis of what Paul is doing in this text is reminding us that we're humbly dependent upon God. You and I are humbly dependent upon God. And I would I would even push that a little bit further, that we're also humbly dependent upon others. Now, that, that just, that, that's not a message you're going to hear in very many other places. Because in 21st century America, we love independence. And we love autonomy. And we love doing our own thing. And so, so. What I could say to you, right, the messages that are so often sold and presented in our society today are do your own thing, be true to yourself, right, follow your heart. These are the things that we're told. And I mean, I, I, I get why we like that. I get why we want to hear that. I mean, it, it, it speaks to and strokes our own sense of independence, our own sense of self-worth. I mean, it'd be really easy for me to say that to you. You'd probably feel pretty good about yourself, and you might even like me a little bit more at the end of the day. But church, my job, listen to me, the nature of my job is not that you would like me, okay? The, what's that? What's <laughs> that? Man, my own staff is amen, amening, not liking me. I'm not sure what to do with that. <laughs> Ouch. I'm, ass- I'm going to assume that's not personal and just <laughs> generic. Um, but listen, the nature of my job is not for you to like me. The nature of my job is to love you enough that I don't care as to whether or not you like me. And so I'm willing to just speak hard truths irrespective of what you think of it. Because the, the message of follow your heart, of do your own thing, of be true to yourself, that's right from the pit of hell. That's right. That's Satan's fodder. Do your own thing. You want to ask Adam and Eve how that went for them? The rest of humanity? That hasn't really worked out very well. Follow your heart? That has to be the worst advice ever given. Now, I know that I'm drawn to superlatives and being a little bit extreme. But what does the Bible tell us about our heart? It's deceitful and wicked. You can't trust it. Would you knowingly follow a fraud and a scammer? Of course you wouldn't, but I'm going to follow my heart. It's a fraud. And what gifts do for us is they help to remind us that we're humbly dependent upon God. And that might not be exhilarating, that might not be thrilling, that's probably not the sexiest thing that you've heard all week, but that is the call of God to his people. Can you embrace that? That we're humbly dependent upon God. Secondly, that we graciously accept his gifts. That we graciously accept the gifts that God has put into us. And can we be done begrudging? Can we be done minimizing? Can we be done second-classing the way that we do with some of our gifts and downplaying them as if they're less significant than they really are? Well, I've only got... I don't have the gift of evangelism. You know what? The person who has the gift of evangelism probably spends as much time thinking about the gift that you have, wishing they had that as you do thinking about their gift. Can we just graciously accept what God has generously given to us? And then in that same vein, can, can, can we just be able to celebrate not only what God puts into us, but what God puts into other people? I think sometimes we look at other people and we're just jealous and envious because our identity is, is rooted in our giftedness or our talents or we want people to love me based on this thing in me instead of being rooted and fixed in Christ. I think that's why we struggle with that. And there's an irony in that graciously accepting not only what God gives to me but what God gives to others is actually an indirect way of embracing and graciously accepting what God has given to me. Right? One of the most gracious gifts that God gives to me is a lot of people in our church that help lead us in, in the musical portion of our worship gathering. Because I could never do that. This room would be empty in like 15 seconds. Right? And so indirectly, that becomes an incredible gift that God gives, well, really to all of us, but specifically right to me. We graciously accept his gifts. Third, that we appreciate God's blessing to the church. We appreciate God's blessing in the church. We we thank God for his kindness to us. In fact, here, let me just give you a handful of ways that we thank God in this. First of all, that you thank God for the gifts that he's given you. God didn't owe that to you. He doesn't. You don't deserve that, right? This is God's gracious gift to you. And so we say, God, thank you that that you've given this to me. And then thank God that he lets you use that gift to build the kingdom of God. You realize people are the most inefficient, ineffective way of, of, of growing and expanding the kingdom of God. You realize that, right? And if, if you haven't read the entirety of this book, if you read the Bible, you're going to realize, man, we're terrible at this. But angels, they're, they're really good at this. Or have you ever thought about the fact that donkeys are two for two in the scriptures? Donkeys are batting a thousand. And we might, I mean, we're just not batting a thousand, are we, right? You got Balaam and his donkey? Nails. You got the donkey that Jesus is going to ride into Jerusalem uh, right before the crucifixion. So donkeys batting a thousand. You and I are not batting a thousand. And yet donkeys don't bear the image of God. Angels don't bear the image of God. You and I bear the image of God. But even in that, God didn't have to let us participate. But he graciously and generously does. So we want to thank God for that. Thank God for your limitations. Mike, I think you misread that. No, I didn't. Thank God for your limitations. Because they remind you of your need for others. They, they, they help push us back into that interdependency that's required for the body to be healthy. And not only that, I think that in our limitations, we're reminded of the limitless nature of the gospel. And Christ's finished work on our behalf. Your limitations are a far greater gift to you than you know. And then thank God for others' gifts. Be able to look out and be like, man, God, thank you. That they're good at this. And that they help with this. And they meet needs that I can't meet. And so we appreciate God's blessing to the church. Finally, this. this is just practical. right? Use your gifts to build the church. There you go. Take your gifts and do something with them. Leverage them for the kingdom. Allow God to do what He wants to do with what He's put in you. You might have a couple of questions. You might be like, okay, I, I, I hear that, but I, I don't know what my gift is. And maybe you're sitting here and you're legitimately going, I, I don't know what your gift is. Well, what do you enjoy? What do you tend to be good at? What do you find delight or satisfaction in the Lord when you do? probably beginning to narrow that down a little bit. And then as you think about that, you have others speak into your life and say, hey, here's what I think you're good at. Here's where I think you have some giftedness. And so you're like, no, no, I I know what it is. I just don't know where to use it. I don't know where to employ it. Now, there are what we would refer to as formal ministries of the church. Right, These are structured things that show up in the life of the church, in the ministries of the church. But, but so much of what happens in our church and, and in really any healthy church is not formal. It's informal. And so the, the primary utilization of some of your giftedness might not show up in a formal ministry. It might show up in an informal capacity. And I think sometimes our tendency is like, but, but no, 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 it's the whole thing that Paul's getting at here. It's not about status. It's not about position. It's not about prominence. It's about taking what God has given to us and leveraging it to the benefit and the blessing of other people within the church. In fact, I'll go so far as to say that I think the ability to serve in obscurity is usually a great revealer of motives. If you can't serve in obscurity, you probably shouldn't be serving. See, here's what I'll hear people say sometimes. Well, I need a group, I need a crowd, I need an audience, and all I ever want to say is you probably just need to repent. And that's probably the reason you don't have any of those right now. Because it's about you and it's not about God. Maybe you're like, no, I know what it is, I know where it is. Um, I just don't know what to actually do with it. How do I do this? Find someone else who has the same gift and say, train me, teach me, coach me, equip me, help, help me to grow in this. And if, if, if you've been walking with the Lord longer and you look out and you see someone else that you think has a gift that, that you have, come alongside them and say, hey, can I invite you to be a part of what I've got going on? Can I invite you into this? And then the question I get probably the most often is, when do I know I'm actually using my gift? I I, I think I know what it is. I I think I'm using it, but how do I really know that I'm actually using my gift? Well, when when you do what you think that is, and you see people walking with loving, worshiping, thanking, um, living in the fullness of all that God intended, you're probably on the road, right? When I do blank, whatever I think my gift is, and, and other people serve or they grow and they worship or they love or they're encouraged or they're challenged or they're rebuked or, you know, whatever it is. And Christ is honored in that. That's when you're using your gift. You see, the measurement isn't that people will like me. The measurement is that God is honored, that God is worshiped, that God is glorified. Here's the great irony of spiritual gifts, loved ones. When your gift is truly used, you actually disappear. And Jesus gets big. We receive gifts from the Spirit for the purpose of building up one another. God, help us. God, help us that that would be true of us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you, God, we, God, we thank you for this good but hard word. God, thank you for, for, for the, the grace that we see evidenced in gifts, not only to us, but to others within the body and within the church. God, thank you for the ways that you uh, entrust to us, uh, not things that we deserve, but things that you so generously and gracious bestow upon us and to us. And so God, we just pray that you would help us. Help us first, God, to find our identity in you. To, to, to not be looking for gifts or, or work or, or moralism or whatever it is to save us. But God, to trust in the finished work of Christ, to find our identity in that. And then when we get to this item of gifts, that, that, that we're not trying to jockey or position with it. We're just saying, God, thank you that you put this into me. How how do I use this and leverage this to maximize glory and worship and honor for you? God, we pray that you would help us. We pray that you would grow in us and cultivate in us a deepening desire that we would take what you've given to us and with gratitude and thanksgiving, use it to bless others for your glory. God, would that be true of us? We pray this in your name. Amen.